We're in a brand new series that we began uh, recently, and it is called Supernatural. It is the unseen and afterlife that we're exploring together. And this morning, we're going to continue on that journey. We looked at Satan last week. There's an outline that you will find very helpful. There is more information than we can possibly cover on a Sunday morning like this. This would be something like a series. And so I will not apologize for that, but just want to prep you that there's a whole lot more here than we can possibly cover. But you have it there in outline form, scriptures you can look at. We want to explore this morning overcoming demons. Uh, We showed you where Satan came from last uh, week. And Satan is a ruler over the demonic world. And I'm going to break it down, as you see here on the outline, from the presence of demons, the power of demons, the purpose of demons, and ultimately we're going to get to the protection from demons. And I know that it's a little radical in today's very uh, uh, sort of a non-supernatural and sort of an agnostic world in which we live to even suggest that there's actually demons because often they're more like cartoon characters, a good angel on one shoulder and a bad angel on another. We, we sort of live in the world like that. But let me explore what God has to say. If we believe that God has spoken to us, those ancient worlds, as words are as relevant for us today. The presence of demons, they are here. The word demon comes from daemon. This is a Greek word. And we believe that day is the word meaning to divide or disrupt. Demons want to come and divide and disrupt. And you'll see evidence of that. Satan rules over that demonic world. And there are two classes of demons in this world. He swept away the angels from heaven, according to Revelation chapter 12, 4. We'll get into Revelation 12, two Sundays from today. And the tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman. There's a lot more than we can unpack now. But what Satan did is at some point in ancient history, I think probably before the Garden of Eden, he rallied together a group of angels and he swept them away. A third of all the angels. And there are myriads and myriads of countless numbers of angels. So there are a lot of demons now that follow him. And it says in Revelation 12:9, the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who was called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So those angels of Satan that used to be good angels who followed God, they have now become what we call demons. We can talk about angels on Mother's Day. We didn't think it'd be good to talk about demons on Mother's Day. So well, we saved the angels for Mother's Day because all mothers are angels. Thank you. <laughs> so, all right, got that out of my system. So we want to be able to emphasize the good angels that are out there and all the good that they do. And let me just say that next Sunday we're going to talk about spiritual warfare and we're going to unpack that. And then the two Sundays from today, we're going to talk about the future spiritual warfare and the alignment of politics as that is coming to play. And speaking of spiritual warfare, we find this, that demons are very organized. Uh, They're not erratic and have no system. They've lived a lot longer than anybody in this room, well, most of us in this room. They've, They've lived a lot longer than all of us in this room. And they have schemes. Ephesians 6 says this, Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And this word schemes is methodia. And it's referring to 
as the English word from methodia, it's method. They have methods. They have a craft. It is deceitful, cunning uh, devices that they have put into place. Next Sunday, I'll break down the schemes, the methods, the strategies that they have that you and I will fail. And we'll show you how they are about that. But it's fascinating that he says here, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against. It's not like we need to go on the offensive against. We just need to stand firm in the, in the authority of Christ in the world in which we now live, those of us who are His followers. We stand firm in that truth, and we live accordingly. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And it sure gives us the indication that there are levels of authority that are in this demonic world. As uh, Paul is not necessarily giving synonyms for all the categories, but probably some sort of hierarchical structure that God has designed this world to live in terms of the demonic world, the rulers, the powers, the world forces of darkness. And so the presence of demons today, there are two categories. There are those demons that are free and roam around and carry out the schemes. There are those demons that are confined right now. And I'm going to take you into the world that if you've never seen this before, that is going to sound very bizarre to you. But let me just express some of the things that are written in Scripture. By Peter, for example. The confined demons. If God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the pits of darkness reserved for judgment... And did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. He goes on to talk about Noah. But here is the key in the blue, or the green, whatever that color is. He has cast him into hell. The word hell there is Tartarus. It is a unique hell. It's not the hell that you and I think about when we think about hell. It is a place for demons to be confined. Why were they confined there? Notice in Jude 6 and 7, also a counterpart to this. And angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode. And again, here is the key phrase. He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So there are demons that have been confined. They're cast into Tartarus or what is translated as hell. It is a destination for judgment. Who are these demons? What do they do? Why are they confined? Why are they no longer free? Because God goes back to in Genesis 6. This is why, talking about Noah and First Peter, that it came about when man began to multiply in the face of the land and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not strive with man forever because he is also flesh. And nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. The word sons of God is used in Job for angels. It's a term for angels. And what is going on here, we don't know clearly. But here's the speculative answer, and God will clue us all in when we get to heaven. The sons of God refer to a category of demonically either uh, possessed or perversions of humankind that is now marrying the daughters of men. And so there is this configuration going on of demon-possessed or perversion, demonic-perverted human beings 
that are marrying daughters of men, and they are creating this, this whole class of, of race that is now populating the world. And God says, I am totally displeased with that. It says, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only continually evilly, con- evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And then he brought Noah and the flood story to bear. And I think that there is something going on here where God said, you are creating a breed of people from the sons of God, this demonically driven people, and the women of the, ca- of, the, of the earth, and they are breeding these children in a way that is totally contrary, totally a perversion of the Garden of Eden and God's original design. And God says, that's just so bad that I will not allow you to persist. And he brings the flood. That was why the world was more wicked then than in the days of Noah than any other time. Because there is this perversion that is going on. This distortion of all that God had created that was supposed to be good in terms of marriage and childbearing and uh, the way they live out their lives. And God says, I won't permit that. So he takes those demons, he kills them with a flood, and then he confines them to Tartarus, this hell that Jude and First Peter talk about. And so that is the category of the confined demons. It's very, very weird, very strange. But God sees how wicked these beings can be. And then there is the presence of demons that are free. And what are those free demons going to have? They have power. So we move from the presence of demons to the power of demons. What kind of power do they have? Well, they have intellectual power. They probably have better theology than a lot of seminary professors do these days. Because they have been in heaven. They have seen Christ. They've seen the birth of Christ. They've seen that Christ is the Son of God. They've seen that Christ has come to die for people's sins. They've seen Christ resurrected into heaven. They know all that. Notice in Mark chapter 1, as Jesus walked the earth, and just then there was a man in the synagogue with unclean spirit, a demon. And he cried out saying, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Notice how this evil spirit knew who Jesus is. Have you come to destroy us? This demon knows his destiny, destruction. And here's the key. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This demon has better theology, as I said, than many today. This demon knew that Jesus is God. This demon knew what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the The Roman rulers did not know. This demon knows what a lot of people today don't recognize, that Jesus is not just a great prophet. Jesus is the God from the holy God of heaven. And Jesus rebuked him and said, Be quiet and come out of him. Throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. So this demonic power of intellectual, theological correctness, they know who Christ is, the Holy One of God. The power of demons is to possess and control anybody they can find. And we see that in Matthew 8. And he came to the other side of the country of the Gadarenes, and two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. And they cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? 
And now there was a herd of many swine uh, feeding at a distance from them, and the demons began to entreat him, saying, If you're going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And Jesus did that. It's just an interesting thing that I don't fully understand how the interplay of demons appealing to Jesus, saying, If you're going to cast us out of him, then can we have another body? And I don't care if it's a bunch of pigs. I'll go there. And they did, and they killed the pigs. Wiped out this uh, farmer's, whatever they call a flock of pigs, they wiped them out. And off they ran. Demons want to possess bodies. Otherwise, they are just a spirit roaming. And we'll talk about demon possession in a moment. They know the future. They can fool people. Demons, remember, demons have lived since the creation of time. For tens of thousands of years, they have lived going all the way back to whenever they were created in all past of eternity. And here's what we find that they know. In Acts 16, as it happened, as Paul was traveling, as they were going to a place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination, a spirit that was in this girl that could tell the future, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Demons have a capacity that goes beyond human capacity. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Notice the theology. Demons that have possessed this girl know that Paul is a messenger of truth, and that Paul's message is the saving way to go. This demon knew that. Again, demons have better theology than many today who don't understand the saving work of Christ. They get it. They understand it. They've been in heaven. They've seen Jesus before He was incarnated through Mary. He, those demons, truly have a theological correctness about them. And then it says, Then she continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed. (laughs) Can you imagine being dragged around by a fortune-telling woman that is constantly preaching alongside Paul, saying, These people are right. You should listen to them. It's incredible. Well, Paul doesn't need the help. So he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. Paul didn't want to be associated with the demonic world. As theologically as correct as demons are, and as much as they can verify the deity of Christ, the saving work of Christ, they get it, they know it, they didn't go to seminary, they just know it because they've seen it. They've heard the Father say it. Still, believers are never to be partnered with and in association with demonic behavior. Paul says, I don't want your help. I don't want your partnership, even though you do know the truth and what you say is true. And so we don't want to associate with them either. They know Christian leaders and they can, un- they can overpower the unprepared person. Demons watch. They observe. When we get to angels, I'll show you. Angels watch us. And I'll tell you why angels watch us. They long to look into our spiritual lives. Angels long to look into the redemption, the saving work of Christ in our lives. Well, demons look at that as well. Demons follow what's going on. Demons are intellectual. They are emotional. They have a will. They choose just like you and I. They have personality of intellect will and emotion and they are observing what is going on here today we see an example of that in acts 19 
but also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And here's the key. And an evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, Holy One from God, saving work of Christ. I know about Paul. I've seen Paul doing great miracles. I've seen him cast some of my fellow demons out of people. I've seen him heal people. I've seen people be saved by Paul's message. But who are you? Who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. That's powerful. Naked and wounded, running around because a demon overpowers you. If we think that we can just harmlessly come and dabble in the things of the demonic world and pretend as though they are not significant, not important, they are able to overpower unprepared people because they follow who's in charge, who's really got the authority of Christ, who can stand before them, as Paul says, stand against the schemes of the devil. And then they see the others who are the stragglers, sort of the unaware, sort of the uneducated, seem to dabble in things they shouldn't be dabbling in. The demonic world sees that and they can't overwhelm those who are unprepared. That's why we're spending time teaching these things. So we're not unprepared. The purpose of demons then is this. Why do demons exist? They want to cause us to disobey God. That's the bottom line. Disobedience to God. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. This is the demonic spirit world of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. We are called to disobey God. Whatever God says, they want to find a counter to that and cause disobedience to it. Here is one example of the way demons have caused society to disobey God. This goes all the way back uh, over 2,000 years ago. In Psalm 106, here's what demons have done, here's what demons continue to do. But they mingled with the nations. Notice the nation of Israel co-mingles with other nations. Uh, They become uh, vulnerable to demonic action because other nations controlled by demonic worlds. They think they can sort of coexist in a way that there is no harm. And they learn their practices. Drug down the Jewish people. And those Jewish people of the nation of Israel served their idols. And these idols became a snare to them. And here is what happens when you become prey to demonic oppression. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. Demons want us to disobey God. Demons influence us to do things that in our rational mind we would think, why would anyone, anyone kill sons and daughters? Why would anyone shed innocent blood? And we look at that world, and we live in a world where that is going on. Not in a big idol in Canaan. Not in some idolatrous temple where there are stone idols of of, uh, God and goddesses. 
But we are now being influenced in a more subtle way where demons are coming to us in our society and influencing people of high power and causing behavior that anybody would innately in their gut know can't be right. But we do it anyways. And the tragedy of things like this, abortion, and I'm sure there are people in this room who have done that. My, my stand here is not to create guilt or shame, but simply to invite us into the reality that we stand firm against these things. Because this is what we saw in the Old Testament. And candidly, it's going on today, and as a perversion, and, and we, we rename it. We call it reproductive freedom, women's rights. Wars on women. When the truth of reality is, demons love this counterfeit, this facade to soften the reality of what's really going on. I'm just speaking the truth. This is why we need to be aware. Not unprepared, because they can overwhelm us and we move into a category of disobedience and we feel justified. Demons have lived so long they know best how to do that and make us live that way. In Revelation 2.20, but I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray. Even the believers in the church in Revelation chapter 2, even the believers have been led astray. Why? So that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Two ways that you see demons influencing even believers and the Jewish followers of uh, God. Number one, they will kill their children. Number two, they will practice immorality. This is the, this, the, the, the churches of, of Revelation, we call it in Turkey today, they practice immorality. Do we see immorality prevalent today? Absolutely we do. We classify it with other terms. But immorality, any sexual behavior outside between a husband and a wife is immorality. Whether two people living together outside of marriage or two people of the same sex living together, having sex together, that's immorality. Do we see the prevalence of that? Are demons rising up? Are they creating false images? Are they creating alternatives to the marriage that God created in the Garden of Eden? Yes, they are. They're, demons won't kill Marriage as we know it from the garden of husband and wife, except for divorce, of course. So demons create counterfeits, alternative ideas, alternative lifestyles, we call it. They create many other versions of the real thing so that people think I have other choices now. They indulge in the other choices and diminish the real choice. As long as you have a bunch of counterfeits that look like the real thing, the real thing is diminished in value. So that's, that's a little bit of what's going on. That's their purpose today. We see element, elements of that today. They also want to promote false doctrine. First Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 5. Here is where we see that. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith. That means rock-solid churches will fall away from the faith. Rock-solid believers will fall away from the faith. Rock-solid pastors like myself, we are vulnerable to fall away from the faith. Why? Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Demons have doctrines. 
Demons have theology. Demons raise up false theology to go alongside true theology. And that's why we have so many religions today. Islam says that Jesus is a great prophet. But Islam raises up a whole category of billions of people who are religiously driven and spiritually invited, and yet it's an alternative that is a counterfeit to the real thing. And yet they feel comfortable in the counterfeit because they're denied the real thing. And so there's the doctrines of demons by means of hypocrisy seared in their own consciences. What God, what demons do is they sear the conscience. Sear, I'll show you these three words. Seared means to cauterize. So what demons do is they make, they, they allow me to believe false truths, if that's such a word, false truths or false doctrines. They allow me to enter into a false world but they sear the conscience. They cauterize it so I can do immoral things. I can believe wrong things, but my conscience does not feel guilty. Demons are masters at that. Where people that we know and love can commit immoral or false doctrine and never feel guilty about it. And we say, why don't they feel badly about that? I would if I did that. I couldn't live with myself if I believed that or if I did that. But they don't. Why? They sear the conscience. That's power. That's their purpose. And this word deceit, deceitful, demons, we, I've talked about this word a lot, planeo. We get the word deceit, planeo. The word planet comes from that. Planets are something that orbit around something. But if you're orbiting around the wrong thing, then it's deceitful, but it looks good. For example, here's the chart. Here are the planets. They're orbiting. They orbit around the sun. And what deceitful demons want us to believe is that if we're orbiting around something, what they want us to orbit around, what they want you and I, what they want our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, our family members, they want us to orbit around something called works salvation. That I have to work my way to God. We who believe in Christ are the only ones who believe that we get it free without works. All other religions, all other faiths, all other denominations believe that there is some sort of a work I've got to do, whether it's being baptized, taking communion, the sacraments, or keeping certain regulations in terms of your prayer life. All those believe in works salvation. So deceitful doctrine, deceitful demons have you orbiting around that. They also have you orbit around pride, which is similar to that because I do something to gain my salvation. And for me, the pride is contained in things like I orbit around my possessions. I orbit around my prestige, what I want people to think about me. I want them to think I'm significant. They orbit around my power, how much I control people, what my power of position is at work or at home, or it orbits around pleasure. I need pleasure. This behavior I know that God says is wrong, I do it because it makes me feel good. And so we orbit around something deceitful and it doesn't feel wrong because my conscience is seared. I've been cauterized and I can do it guilt-free. And the more I do it, the less guilt I feel. Demons are masters at that. And here's what we want to orbit around is around the person of Jesus Christ and His grace and His forgiveness. That's the orbit that we should be going around. But a lot of people replace what they orbit around 
and deceitfully they don't recognize the wrongness of that. So they want to defeat our prayers. I'm not going to take time to go into that, but Daniel prayed and a demon prevented his prayers from being answered for 21 days. The purpose of demons is they want to stir up selfishness. They want to create disorder within Christians. They want to cause a church to divide. But you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart. Do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. The wisdom is not that which comes from above. It's earthly. It's natural. It's demonic. It's where jealousy and selfish ambition exist. There is disorder in every evil thing. Demons want to create disorder. They will create disorder in a marriage, in a business, in a friendship. It will be rooted in some sort of selfishness. I have my rights. That's not fair. We throw out those phrases. Um, And that selfish ambition of jealousy creates disorder. And Paul says, that's demonic. Demons, remember, D-A-I, it means to divide. Demons divide. They divide marriages, they divide churches, they divide friendships, they divide families. Demons divide. And it comes out of this arrogance, lying against the truth, and selfishness that I have my rights. The purpose of demons is to prevent non-believers from knowing Jesus. Why is it when they get seared in their conscience they don't save the light? Because demons blind them. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I don't understand how Satan does that. I don't know how demons sear consciences so people can persist in immoral behavior or false doctrines and never feel like it's wrong. I don't understand how they do that. All I know is that they somehow have mastered the craft. And we need to be alert and aware of it. Demons also spread disease, pain, and suffering. I don't have them listed there, but I have them on the outline. You can see all the ways that they can create uh, terrible things that happen. It's on the bottom side of the outline there. And it's, uh, it's so damaging. Now, here's the thing. Demons in Jesus' day were very overtly active. Demons today, not so much. Not in America. Not here in Orange County. But I bet you go around the world and you go to some of these sort of so-called third world countries and you will find more overt behavior by God revealing Christ to people in miracles and dreams and by demons carrying out their antics that they had like in the days of Acts. Demons are more subtle in Orange County. And I'll show you next week their subtle strategies to affect you and me. Possession by demons. Can a believer be possessed by demons? There are people that I read, Merrill Unger, for example, who says, yes, demons can possess a believer. There are plenty of others who believe that they cannot. I'm one who believes that they cannot. But I'll show you that's still threatening. For example, believers are removed from the evil demonic world. We're not part of that world anymore. Colossians says, He rescued us from the domain of the darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. If I'm in the Son's kingdom, I'm in that beloved Son's kingdom, and I'm no longer in His domain, I've got power. I stand in the authority of Christ. We also see that believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He seals us. He protects us so that we can get to heaven without harm from the demonic world in terms of that overt possession 
And then there's this great prayer that we'll pray at the end that I'll get to. So how do we protect ourselves from demonic behavior? The first thing that you and I need to do is to confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We immerse ourselves in the person of Christ. We let His authority to live in us because we become in Christ powerful. Christ in us, the hope of glory. In Christ, we have authority and power. This is what Paul speaks to in Acts 6, 26, 18, speaking about his own conversion. He said this, To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, and they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Paul is summarizing his conversion and his message to everybody else who will be converted, that at one point you're in darkness, now you're in the light of Christ. At one point, you're in dominion of Satan. The word dominion can also be translated authority. You're in the authority of Satan. So there is the authority of Satan in the world. There is the authority of Christ. There are two authorities. There are no more than that. There are only two. You're either in one or the other. And if I'm in the authority of Satan, then I am blinded. I can't see the falseness of my doctrinal belief. My conscience is seared. I practice immoral behavior. I do things that most people would say, why do you do that? Shouldn't you feel guilty about that? But in the dominion of Satan, I don't feel that pain. I am blinded. I am numbed. I am seared. My conscience feels no guilt. And then God, by the person of Christ, divinely comes. The Holy Spirit convicts. And in that conviction, there is a breakthrough. That's why every conversion to Christ is a miracle. It's not if I'm clever enough. It's not if you're clever enough. It's not if I answer every theological problem you have. Because when you're in the dominion of Satan, you're blinded. You're seared. But then Jesus, by His Spirit, comes and convicts. And suddenly I see things that I didn't see before. And it's like a birth. It's a rebirth. Watching a natural birth is a miracle. Watching a spiritual rebirth is even a greater miracle. To go from the dominion of Satan, his authority, to the dominion of God, his authority, by the person of Christ. I need to confess Christ and be part of his dominion, part of his authority, and his power rule over me. Because when Jesus came, he judged Satan on the cross. And when he judged Satan on the cross, he rendered him powerless. This is for you and me. Notice Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. Jesus in human flesh. God in human flesh. That through, here's the key, through death, Jesus might render powerless him, Satan, who had the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Jesus renders Satan powerless. When you live in Christ, you live with a power over the powerless devil. And that's the world in which you and I need to live. We need to stay close to him. We need to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, where that Spirit fills me, controls me, guides me. Do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And here's the thing. Now let me show you. When I confess Christ, I move from the dominion of Satan to the dominion of God. I am now in a new authority. The Holy Spirit comes and He fills me. He gives me power that I didn't have before. He causes me to be able to live that supernatural life or overcome because Satan is now powerless in a new way that I never had before. And then I get that filling of the Holy Spirit. But here is the danger that unless I am truly, truly in the dominion and authority of Christ and the Spirit within me, 
I live a very vulnerable life. Notice what Jesus says. Now when the unclean spirit comes out of the man, it passes through the waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it will find it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. You see, in human effort to be right with God, we might clean our house out. I'll get things right with myself and with God. But if I don't backfill it with Christ, I don't backfill that vacuum with the power of the Holy Spirit, the demon says, well, I'm going to go back to that house, back to that person, and frankly, it's unoccupied. That's why the danger of works-oriented salvation is so bad. I live in a realm of a vacuum. I am vulnerable to even being backfilled with demons again. Then it goes, this demon goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go and they live in there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. And that is the way it will also be with this evil generation. We need to know that if I live this life, I better be all in. I better be theologically correct. I better understand Christ and what He has done. I need to have the Holy Spirit controlling me every single moment because there is a vulnerability to demonic oppression where He comes, they come, however many there are, and want to move me out of my orbit around Christ and move me into my orbit around pride, possessions, privilege, prestige, those things. And that's the vulnerability for oppression. Not possession, but oppression. And many times it's the same results. It looks very much the similar way. So confess and turn from anything that attaches you to the occult or the evil world. Get rid of it. Remember when Paul was being chased around by the fortune-telling divine girl? And that girl was saying, along with Paul, he's preaching the salvation message. You should listen to him. Paul says, I don't want anything to do with you. So he separates himself from it, but finally she keeps on coming back, and he finally casts the demon out, because I want no attachment to the demonic world. And you and I need to get rid of those things that might attach us to the demonic world. As Acts 19 says, Many of those who had believed kept coming and confessing, disclosing their practices. Many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the Word of God was growing mightily. I don't know what you may have that attaches you to the demonic world, but you understand the demonic world, and if there's anything that's like that, move from it. And even simple things, I don't know if you read the horoscopes and all that, that's just garbage. It's garbage. And uh, should have no practice in our lives. I need to grow in my knowledge of the Word of God. Obviously, I backfill the truth of God's Word to separate me from the false doctrine of demons. I need to understand the difference between the two. As Paul writes, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. You need to understand how to use your weapon. Can you imagine joining the army of the Marines and saying, I don't need to learn how to shoot a gun? No one would do that. You need to understand how to use your weapon. The Word of God is the weapon that helps me to discern the spirit world and the world of Christ and be able to distinguish between the two. We're destroying every speculation, every lofty thing raised up with the knowledge of God. We're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. My thoughts have to be held captive by God's Word, God's truth, understand who He is and what He wants. So that means I have to discern and discern false doctrine, false belief systems. Do not believe every spirit, but test them. I need to understand those things. But then here is the prayer that we need to pray. I love Paul's prayer of Ephesians 1. And I'm going to invite you to pray or read this prayer with me. 
Let's do it in unison. Wake up your neighbor. Let's pray this prayer together. Ephesians 1.18, there's two slides. This is Paul's prayer. This is our prayer. Read it with me. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ. When he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. And he gave him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You would do well to take that prayer and you pray it every day, God, every day. Let me be reminded who Christ is. And I live in the power of Christ. Christ, who is above all rule, authority, power, dominion, any name out there. I live there. Let my eyes see that regularly. And the other thing you need to be faithful in, connecting with other believers. Hebrews chapter 10 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of son. Encourage one another. Encourage one another. We need others. This last week, I'll close with this. We had a great staff development day. We do staff development days throughout the year. And we had a staff development day with Josh McDowell. He's uh, one of those great saints that God has used in a mighty way. And one of, the thing, one of the takeaways that I heard from him that was a reaffirming and reinforcing of my own heart and I want to share it with you is this. <clears throat> Josh McDowell is very open and he has a movie as to the story of his life that as a young boy for seven years he was sodomized every week by a family member. As he said to us again this last week, last Thursday, he says, I went to my mother and she didn't believe me. And he says, for every day of my life, even now, he's in the 70s now, for every day of my life, I carry that wound. It still hurts. But he's been able to overcome it. He's been able to rise above it. He doesn't let the demonic world, he doesn't let the evil world, he doesn't let this world keep him back. God has used him in mighty ways, in his writings, in his speaking, in his influence of the church and the non-believing world. And he says, the reason for that is this. Jesus, and here's the thing that sounded a little, wait, wait. He said, Jesus is not enough. And a couple would push back, what, what do you mean? Okay, Jesus is enough for salvation. But to live the life, Jesus is not enough. And then he rattled off like a half a dozen guys that came around him and has been instrumental in causing him to live the life that he now lives today. He says, Jesus is not enough. You need the body of Christ, believers of Christ, the family of Christ to cause us to live the life that God's called us to live. And that's my encouragement to you. 
if you're not in a discipleship relationship, if you're not in a life group relationship, if you're not in a committed connecting with other believers relationship, you need that too, along with all the others, to protect from the demonic world and its influence in our lives today. Let's be those people that walk the walk of truth, overcoming immorality, false belief, by the power of Christ who lives within us to give us that great capacity, that supernatural life. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you that you are giving to us truth. It's a lot. It's a lot to try to speak on. It's a lot to try to digest. But Father, I pray that there would be something that would stick in our hearts and our lives that helps us to live the life that you've called us to live. We do live in a fallen world. This whole world lies in the power of the evil one, John says. We are vulnerable to the evil one's tactics and strategies, as subtle as sometimes they may be, to just get us off orbit so that we're circulating around the wrong thing. But it feels right. Help us, God, to be discerning, understanding, truthful, moral, holy, by the power and authority of Christ, overcoming the influence of this world. And help us to be the light and the salt to those that need you. Give us that power to cause others to want to know you as well. Father, thank you for these things. So we pray it in Jesus' name.